I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, is in theaters now. It is the first concert film to make over $100 million at the box office. And it's inspiring sing-alongs and more in theaters across the world. Apparently, theaters are cranking the volume to the extent that people are hearing love story in quiet moments while they're watching Killers of the Flower Moon. But anyway, there's a lot to talk about with this movie, so I brought in Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield for a deep dive. It's weird because there's an almost total informational blackout on this movie. Sam Wrench, the director, has not done any interviews. Obviously, Taylor hasn't done any interviews. So we don't know much about the making of and the the no doubt breakneck editing process and how many cameras they used and all the usual stuff. I think it's fair to say, I don't know what you two think, but so Sam Wrench is the director and he's very experienced with concert films and he's done commercials. He's not an auteur, he's not Jonathan Demme or anything, but he's a very professional modern director who knows how to capture these big spectacles. Return of the Jedi, the director was Richard Marcand, also a TV director and is a very competent sort of workmanlike director. But George Lucas was right there whispering in his ear. And I kind of wonder to what extent Taylor Swift was ghost directing on some level with all the stuff she told him about the movie. Going to be the primary artistic voice behind any Taylor Swift project. Yeah, I'm I mean, I think for any concert film, right? Especially for something like this, where it is very straightforward, the concert type of concert film. I'm sure it was like also, okay, like I want to capture this part of August and I want the dancers to be central to this thing. And I'm sure even with what songs were cut, that had to be her choice because it is such a an arc that's happening in the concert that we're, that we've talked about. There were probably clear reasons she weighed in on that. Especially as a director herself, I maybe she just didn't want this to be her first yeah. feature. Right. It's also, they have not yet developed the technology to clone herself <laughs> and have another Taylor, an AI copy of Taylor uh, yelling directions to the cinematographers while she's on yeah. stage performing. But yeah, it's interesting because Richard Brody in The New Yorker, who can be a little bit of a troll, but he was complaining about that there was nothing particularly artful or interesting about the way it was shot. and. Sure. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but what struck me, and I was just saying to Brittany before we started, is while that may be true, I mean, it was just very beautifully and professionally shot, it still had a much bigger effect on me than most sort of concert films. It's the performance itself, but there is something weirdly visceral about the experience, and I couldn't quite put my finger on why that was. I was talking about this with someone the other day, and... It reminded me a lot of when I saw an InSync concert in IMAX, and it was the exact <laughs> same InSync concert I had already seen live. Probably, it definitely came much longer than like eras from the time I saw eras. It was probably like a year after, and it felt like being in the concert again in a really fun way. Because I remember similar my screen of eras. I know a lot of people like I know Rob went to a very lively screening. I was at a weird 19 plus screening. And so we were all seated. It was like a lot of just older people singing from their seats. And even when I saw the NSYNC IMAX thing, I don't remember anything super significant about that film other than just like seeing every member's face in a very large way. And it just felt like being back in the concert, but also getting to see even things that I missed because I was so excited during the concert. Like the things that I appreciated about NSYNC in the context of them on stage, I missed that in the actual concert because I was so excited that they were just in the flesh and real. And I think that's the nice part about a film like this, where it's like eras, so much is happening. I feel like I absorbed as much as I possibly could. And then like, it's now 
on screen again. I can watch the dancers move and I could see, oh yeah, that's like a cool thing that she did during this performance and something besides just my tears and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> but Rob, what I was referring to is that like, the, the visceral thing is for some reason, unlike any concert film I can ever remember, there was much more of a weird urge to clap at the end of songs. I did it a couple times without thinking. That's what I'm talking about. There is that weird viscerality to it. So what was that? Was it just the sheer power of the performance or what, Rob? I think a lot of it is seeing it on the big screen and seeing it with an audience. It's because Taylor's made lots of concert films before, and they're all great. The Speak Now one is really great. The red one is a personal favorite because she's got a lot of guests on the tour and she chats with them. There's a great moment. Brittany, I know you have to love this moment where she's backstage with mm-hmm. Carly Simon before she goes I out to sing class. Your Sylvain with her. <laughs> and she asks Carly on camera, who is your Sylvain about? And, but the uh, that aspect, this one is very different, but it's very different from all the other concert films just in that seeing it in a theater with an audience just changes the experience so much. And... It's funny because I've seen it three times with very different audiences in terms of their responses. But Mm -hmm. there is, even when it's the most dignified audience, there's still all that clapping after songs. And obviously we're not clapping for the screen can't hear us, but it's just a a theater where we can viscerally express this out loud. Yeah, obviously we've seen the show and now we've seen the movie. It wasn't the performance we saw, though, so that's fresh. And the LA shows really do seem like they were incredible it's a weird question since you knew what was coming, but what surprised the two of you the most seeing it in this format? The dancers are such a huge part of it, and we get to know them all so well over the course of seeing all these closeness with their faces. I'm obsessed with <laughs> Stubble Guy. I feel like we've all been on a journey with Stubble Guy. And the way that the same dancers have different characters, I liked how the, the one who's at the yeah. end of the dinner table intolerated. Turns out to be the one in style. You got that jeans, dean, day, dream, look in your eye, and I got that red lip And these different characters of these dancers are acting in these really intricately conceived dramas. It it was really funny to see the last great American dynasty so close up. There goes the last great American dynasty. Taylor's facial expressions as well, like the way she's at the piano and she says, too bad she's talked yeah. in the head. And you could see a lot of that theater kid energy oh, yeah. coming out. But Brittany, what you said about these are songs that we've wanted to sing out loud for the past four years. And I think part of the visceral impact of this one is just that folklore and evermore, especially are albums that we heard at a time when we were really isolated from other people. And I think there's something about hearing these specific songs in a public place is is particularly yeah. cathartic. Yeah, the girl next to me, she came alone. And the screening, again, I cannot emphasize how mostly chill it was. It was not packed. It was like a random Saturday at 1 p.m. And the girl next to me came alone, sat, was sat right next to me, and just starts sobbing the minute Cruel Summer. Like, there's no indication that she would start sobbing so early. Starts sobbing the minute Cruel Summer started. <laughs> continued sobbing for the rest of it loved her i was like you could not have sat next to a better person like i'm deeply thrilled to be next to you for this entire experience and a lot of what she was screaming the most and crying hardest for were the albums from 2018 to now that she um taylor hadn't performed live yet 
Yeah. And there's certain things where you're reliving your reaction from the actual show, which is I can't seem to make it through yeah. Marjorie without crying. Never be so polite, you forget your power. And I experienced it as an entirely fresh reaction and then remembered I had exactly the same reaction <laughs> during the show. And I was actually really grateful for the opportunity to be able to hear it all so clearly. Because, first of all, the crowd at Giant Stadium was very loud. It wasn't as loud as some days where you apparently couldn't, you could barely hear Taylor. To be able to hear everything with the clarity from her vocals to the band, which really, I think, talk about an underappreciated and very difficult job they have. There's a, a bunch of people who, who stand out when you're able to listen to it. But I want to shout out Matt Billingsley, her drummer. My understanding is he almost entirely does everything live, including the electronic drums. He's triggering them live on pads. He's doing everything or almost everything live and doing all those transitions between songs, because that was the other thing I was really focused on is these very cool transitions that she does. And that, he's got to be the second hardest working person on that stage. I was really thinking about that because you don't see them, so you don't think about it. But this show was not played to tracks. <laughs> it's a band. I mean, you see them sometimes, but it's like, you especially don't see him that much. We got to throw in yeah, Amos yeah. Heller and, and Mike Meadows. Yes. And these are artists in the band that the fans know really well, partly because something that she's done since the Reputation Tour is at the end of the show, she puts their faces on screen. She runs the credits with the band's faces on the screen. That's really the only stadium show I can ever think of where the video screen shows headshots and, and credits for the band, as well as yeah. the dancers. Shout out to Amos Heller. Sorry again about your car that Taylor Beckman <laughs> years ago. The damage was minor. I'm sorry, Brian. And, I, I, I should have been hesitant to bring up that traumatic memory. Yeah. Paul Sedotti is the, the lead guitarist and has been since 2007. And there were moments when he gets to shred. You don't, again, you don't really hear that. At least I didn't, there's so much going on at the actual show, which I only got to see once. There are moments when he really gets to break out on lead guitar a little yeah. bit. And he was another standout. And I also appreciate at the end, he's playing a, at the very end, there's a nice shot of him playing the red and white striped Eddie Van Halen guitar, which was an, yeah. a nice little moment. That's so conspicuous. Uh, I, I did two double takes. There's the close-ups of that guitar and I'm like, I thought maybe that was a California tribute oh, to, uh, to Eddie Van Halen. 1989 um, meets 5150. <laughs> Can you quickly subtract those? <laughs> Whatever the sum is, a, that's a big message. A 13. I know there's a 13 yeah. in that sum. <laughs> <laughs> we, we may have just done crack something major. The transitions especially within songs. The transition to Look What You Made Me Do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what Don't blame me into Look What You Made Me Do. She does a very smooth transition into that. Yeah. The yeah. rep transitions in particular are really like, really, The rep really, and the really folklore good. ones are really great. And Don't Blame Me, that's one of my favorite songs. Yeah. I, I thought it really stood out in the movie. Again, people, they're in the rep era, and we talked about this long ago. We talked about this in, <laughs> yes. we were all very early. We all said that everyone was going to come back around, and they were going to get in the rep era. And lo and behold, the most comments I have seen from people about this film was, oh, reputation kind of rules. And I'm like, you should have been to that tour. It was a good time. <laughs> and the reputation tour is available on Netflix to stream. Exactly. Get a late pass. <laughs> we always knew. We always knew. 
The reputation stuff is was really powerful. Look what you made me do. And that, that's another time they really rock up some of these songs. Look what you made me do takes on a really rock edge. And so is Don't Blame Me. It becomes this like rock gospel stadium thing that's really huge. And Rob, you said this before, and I was listening for it because it's a great point that the Evermore stuff really breaks out and becomes much bigger live. Yeah, that was something, that was one of the biggest surprises from the tour is that the Evermore songs especially just really translate to stadium bangers incredibly well. You mentioned Marjorie. I didn't think of that as a song that was really even a live song to do. It just, it sounds like such an intimate sort of thing, but good Lord, that song translates to the studio. It translates to the stadium in this just really colossal way. Tis the Damn Season, which my judgment, the most regrettable omission from the set list, yeah. especially since the, the version live was so incredible, but that's got that sort of U2 sounding guitar and that live really took off. Holidays linger like bad perfume. You can run, but only so far. I escaped it too. But it's really amazing that in the movie, the Evermore block really stands out. Those yeah. songs just they transform most. Which brings us to the the witchy version of Willow, which is sick. I thought they were holding pumpkins for a minute. I was like, that's a little corny. But then I realized that, no, it's mystical orbs. Mystical orange orbs that are no way pumpkins. Uh, I thought they were pumpkins too. Mystical orange orbs. But it was very cool visually, cool musically. That was also a, a standout. Just a great song. But yeah, I love, I really love that song in there. And I think it was probably oddly like the one I was most excited during. I was like, hell yeah, Willow. Yeah. So I got really excited about that one. That's the you most know? directed song yeah. i think that's the one where they really like try to make the, the film clip really different from the performance lots of yeah. quick cuts it's a little flashier than the others it's uh, really powerful the whole demonic witchy willow is just incredibly powerful oh and the blank space performance too i think that one i had a bigger appreciation for i think by the time like 1989 happened in the actual concert i was at my most overwhelmed and i was like i can't process anything that's happening on this stage <laughs> and so it was nice to like see i was like oh why don't i remember the car that the dancers were <laughs> were like beating with the golf <laughs> like, i was just like my brain couldn't like compute was happening in real time but i think the staging of some of that stuff was like very fun that was you Totally right. That part is really amazing. I wanted to ask if you knew, were those golf clubs she was holding at the end? Yeah, the okay. implication is that they're the golf clubs to destroy the car. Which yeah. you, And they then show the car on a little screen, and, they, and the dancers have their own... They were sort of lightsaber golf clubs. It confused me a little bit for a moment, too, because especially the lit-up thing it was odd, like they were going to laser <laughs> attack the, the car. But yes, that, that's what that was. I mean, again, because of the impressive ability of Taylor's Camp to have a sort of information blackout around everything, we've not gotten the big... And that may be a separate documentary or something someday, but the big behind the scenes of this tour is always, these things are really interesting. I mean, like when, when you two did that insane tour with the, um, the claw, that was at the time an extremely innovative tour technologically. And there was so much to be said about the sound and the staging and getting the thing from city to city. And we got all that with this. We don't know any, we don't really know 
what it took to put this thing on. And it, it must have taken a lot. I was thinking about that a lot. There's the whole folklore cabin appears on stage. The staging is, it's one of the most elaborately staged stadium tours of all time, no doubt. Someday we'll learn about what it took and what it takes to get that from city to city and to put it on so flawlessly every night because there's, there's so much that could go wrong with this show every night and none of it ever seems to go wrong. I saw a lot of people talk about this and I'm curious if you guys felt the same because I'm torn on if this is a real thing, but I think people were also wondering if the set's going to change as the tour moves to different mm. lakes, um, especially with the re-records rolling out. Obviously, she only has she only had one Speak Now song in the beginning of the tour, and so now with the re-record out, people were curious if there's going to be more of that. So I don't know. I feel like there's so much. It's hard to like be like, she's going to revamp the tour for the next part, but I kind of like also that theory of the film dropping now before all the lakes and everything may be changing. Mm. That's a great point. The attention to detail is also, I was laughing about the microphone spray painted to look like wood and just every microphone matches the setting, every little thing. Again, the planning to know that we're going to do the the dinner table with the wine and the screens come in close, a mind boggling amount of staging stuff going on. Neil Diamond used to do that a lot for You Don't Bring Me Flowers. There'd be a table <laughs> set up, they'd put a tablecloth, but it was like, a couple of roadies who are like setting the table for two, uncorking the wine, pouring Neil a glass so he can just amble over to the table and sit down and start singing, you don't bring me flowers, but... You don't bring me flowers. And you don't sing me love songs. Something I loved about Tolerated, especially in the movie, is seeing Taylor do the table herself because... If you want something yeah. done right, do it yourself. And I just love that she was, she knew exactly what she wanted to be doing when setting the table for that scene. That's a great example of how the movie doesn't compromise itself for slow attention spans or for casual viewers. You're going to sit there and watch Taylor Swift set a table for a good minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> and if you're not into that, you're in the wrong theater. I was telling Brittany, I think before I went in, I was prepared to be able to say, this is cut for super fans only. And you could imagine a world where they did a version that's, you know, a tight hour, 40 minutes for everyone. But the truth is, I, I truly didn't think it felt long. I think it, for the same reason the concert doesn't feel long, it has a rhythm to it. And you kind of need those moments where she's setting the table or where there's a little bit of talking to the crowd or even the, the crowd's cheering, even though they cut down, as you said some of that ovation. It's all about the rhythm. And I think maybe the lack of a brutal cut down is maybe what makes it feel, so, is part of what makes it feel so visceral is there are, there is a sort of you are there aspect to it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. not, it doesn't have that rushed feel and it invites you to, like you said, like if you're not going to be into watching her set the table, <laughs> you should sneak out of the theater and go across the aisle and see something different. The impact of it comes so much from the, the pace of it that it does go for a very long time, but like you said, it doesn't feel long. I could have dealt with keeping Tis the Damn Season, and we can you can always play games about what song she might have dropped instead. I missed the seven spoken interlude, where she's just yes. costume change. And yeah, she goes to change costumes, and then there's this spoken word thing pre-recorded from her with the words of seven and your wildest dreams. If you wish to romanticize the woman I became picture me and something i love about that i was watching the concert film and thought what other concert film would i say gosh i'm sorry they left out the costume uh. change that's just <laughs> literal filler in the live show but even there she's giving content was it just the last two la shows 
I believe so. Because I remember when it was happening on Swifty Twitter, there was a lot of people being like, okay, they're definitely filming tonight. The cameras were very on stage. They were in the mix for it. And also, I remember the big thing was some of the costumes changed slightly to amp up for Scream. The dress for Enchanted was way bigger. As whispered, have we met across the room, starts to make its way to me. Yes, it was very big, even yeah. I noticed. And that's interesting because Haim came on for Nobody, No Crime at the first two dates, I believe. Yeah. But not at the film. It's not like Haim were cut out of the movie. They didn't film Haim. She says, I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. I think he did Because I think the same thing happened because Beyonce filmed between two shows. Like, she did her... LA and Houston shows. So the whole thing was like she had been changing outfits for most of the tour, but then she did the same outfits for those two nights, which people were like, that's weird that she would do the same outfit in Houston, her hometown, that she did in LA. And they're like, oh, yes, they must be filming the show tonight. (laughs) I I feel like with both Taylor and Beyonce coming out with these movies so fast, it is the product of the new speed with which you can do these things. I feel like The Last Waltz came out like a year and a half after they shot it. And now they could remove the cocaine from Neil's nose in like five <laughs> seconds. Uh, you don't need to spend months doing that. But it's emblematic of this new thing where you can move these things very, very fast. And I think now that Taylor and Beyonce have done this, there's going to be, I mean, they're the two biggest artists in the world. So they don't really have peers, but this is going to set a precedent where people are going to try to do these movies much faster and get them in the theaters. Yeah, and also everyone's been watching them. I was watching like live streams of both eras and and Renaissance most nights, you know? It's like, I was on TikTok, like, well, might as well watch this part of Renaissance again. Or, oh, she's at the reputation part of, of eras. Let me just pop in and catch this live stream real quick. I think people were, those are two of the most watched tours of all time. They have to be. Like, they were just inescapable. Even if you weren't a fan of them, where everyone was watching and knew every second of these shows already, obviously in a very grainy, poor quality manner. It also just made sense to get these out. There's no point in waiting for it. It's better for them to do it in a theater just because people have been watching on their screens very shaky versions of all of this. So why not serve them up the most kind of ambitious and immersive version of it that you can do, especially for the people who didn't get to see it? In something I've never seen for a movie before, literally in my entire life, it only screens from Thursday to Sunday. There are no screenings on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it appears, uh, Brittany pointed out that this is sort of the rumor and it does make sense that it's because Taylor didn't want her fans skipping school, the youngest fans to skip school to go to it. I think that might be the reason. And I must say, incredible foresight there, because not only, you know, it's nice that she's concerned about her fans' education, but number one, but number two, imagine the headlines if it was like, school's empty because kids are seeing the Eras Tour movie four times during the day instead of going to school. So she she evaded what could have been some awkward press there, but it's wild. Maybe she is also imitating just the rhythms of the tours that's all yeah. on the weekend and taking the weekdays off. Yeah, that was the other thought, but that's very particular too. I don't know, it's wild. <laughs> Any star can say, stay in school, kids, but Taylor is actually going to schedule her movie to make that possible. <laughs> I did have certain musical revelations from just sort of being able to sit there with it and, and hearing everything so clearly. I guess some people figured this out long ago, but you can sing Mbop to uh, the chords of 22. It's exactly the same chord progression. Yeah, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up, 
and in a similar rhythm. Nothing legally liable, just to be, since everyone's crazy now, Hanson Brothers, put down your phones. Secondhand news as well, the Fleetwood Mac song. Isn't that the same chord <laughs> progression? Oh, yeah. To be fair, it's a very basic and <laughs> often used chord progression. I'd have to listen to Second and News, but the, it's the rhythm of the chords of 22, very similar to, to Umbop. And there probably will be five more hit songs written to that rhythm and chord progression in the next 20 years. Can't go wrong. I love that, the, the Umbop 22 connection. It's, <laughs> that totally makes sense. Another thing was I'm a big getting out of concerts efficiently person. That's one of my biggest values in life, exiting in an efficient manner. So I'm very, very cognizant of the end of a, a concert. So I'm rarely fully enjoying the last two songs because I'm angling my way out of the stadium <laughs> so I can be bolting down to the parking lot or whatever at, at the last minutes. That's just a personal thing, but I was able to enjoy the Midnight's material a lot more this time. You actually got to stay for it. I don't want to give away uh, concert exiting secrets, but my move is to be <laughs> at the furthest back of ready to exit the moment the last song ends. <laughs> so I was there, but I was more mentally there for this. And it, it does, we've talked about this, but it does show how strong everything is for her as an artist that after she plays literally all her best songs, she can then easily and happily end on the new album. Mm -hmm. And there's not even a, a hint that's not the right thing to do. It, 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 feels, it feels totally right. And that's super, super impressive. Karma is such a great banger to end with. It's really weird. It didn't, it didn't seem at first like a song that you would pick as the big finale with fireworks and everything for one of the most ambitious large-scale stadium tours ever. And yet it works so well in that Honestly, everything about Karma makes no sense at all. It is some of the most violently mixed feelings I've ever had about any Taylor song. Karma's a relaxing thought. Aren't you envious that for you it's not? Sweet like honey, Karma is a cat. Explain. It's weird that the chorus is a real grabber, sing-along kind of chorus, even though what you're singing along with is really strange. The, the <laughs> idea that if you're having a fun weekend, it's because you're a good person. <laughs> which is basically, it, it, I'm like, yes, everybody likes breeze in their hair. Nobody doesn't like breeze in their hair. It's yeah. so funny that it's such a enigmatic and, and really oblique song that is just really funny to see as a, okay, everybody, one more time, like sort of stadium <laughs> sing-along. And the movie really accentuated that for me. And do you, do you not agree with the statement, karma is a cat? It's a, I'm not theologically <laughs> experienced enough to be able to, comment on what kind of cat karma may be. I don't know whether it's a marmalade tabby or, or maybe it's more of a calico, but I think you make a compelling argument that karma is a Does karma cat. not take your friends to the summit? <laughs> the, whole, the whole idea that the universe is structured around rewarding you for like being a good person, which is, I mean, don't want to get into the theology of the song, but it's just, it's so funny what a strange sentiment it is to end <laughs> With, uh, with with that song. And yet, it works so well. I mean, musically, it's like absolutely, absolute grabber. There's never been a song of hers more that I wanted to dislike, that <laughs> I love totally against my will. <laughs> Karma is really strange that way. Yeah. I missed live that her one of her dancers plays the cat in that moment. Mm -hmm. Oh my uh, God, yes. <laughs> Too funny. Yes. I love him. That was very funny. I love it too. It's one of my favorites. I love the staging of Midnight. I really loved the mirroring of 
how the opening of the show started with the lover and the dancers coming out with the big veil things and the same thing happening with the clouds and the staging of Lavender Haze I really loved and was really pretty. Yeah, I really enjoyed also the mastermind clock. There are so many intricate things that were happening that you don't necessarily see from certain angles. Even just watching as many kind of grainy videos of the tour, it doesn't really do it justice to see it that way. And again, to the point of them getting out films more quickly than usual for a concert film, it helps to better understand that vision, which I'm sure is the same reason why Beyonce is putting out the Renaissance film in December too, right? There's a bigger sort of creative thing happening that you can only get a little bit of or a fraction of from a grainy Instagram live. I kept sure. thinking about homecoming, yeah. how great it would be to see that in the theater. But yeah. Like you said, this hasn't been really done. Can I just say that the clouds and lavender haze, even though I'd seen them before for a minute, I thought they were brains. Oh my God. And, I love that. And that she should have brought them back out for mastermind and been like, they're brains now. Or, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dancing brains during mastermind would have been incredible. And then just like clockwork, the dominoes cascaded in a told you I'm a mastermind. I totally love that. And yeah, the, the details you noticed, like, you know, the dancer who becomes a cat, Karma as a cat. Yeah. It, it was really great to see those up close and to see her in a performance like The One, when, yeah. when you yeah. see it live, it's okay, Taylor's on the roof of the cabin, but seeing it in the film, you see her whole performance of it up close and it's a very different experience. Yeah. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. One of the things I also noticed, I love the one. It's one of my favorite songs. It's also one of my favorite performances in the tour. You know, I think Mick Jagger was the best at inventing this. The moment when, in addition to it's a great moment in the show, it's secretly a moment when the front person gets to rest physically. And it didn't occur to me until watching it in the movie. As as much as it's incredibly cool that she's singing it lying down, it's also the moment when she gets to, you physically cannot be 
you need moments when it's slower for you or else you're going to die on stage. And it's very dramatic and very appropriate to the song, but also she gets to literally lie down uh, for a portion of the show. What's the choreography on this one going to be? It's like, how about I lie on my back totally still? <laughs> I think that would be good. Um, it's hard not to watch for, you know, how the emotional currents of the changes in her life affect the way she's singing certain songs, especially the lover material. She's very good because it's, you know, I, I was thinking about this magnificent force of a man moment and everything. And is that going to be weird? This is already the case at, at Giant Stadium. But just watching closely, I just want to see if there's anything there as far as the way she delivers lines about that means something very different now than when they were written about something that was ongoing. You know, Probably, but I couldn't really, I couldn't point to anything specific. She's very, very good at concealing that, if there yeah. is anything there. I think especially because it was the concert film, too. I did love fans being like, I feel like she's kind of dissociating while singing Lover at some of the concerts, where it's like clearly like she was like, kind of just like tapped out and like rushing through <laughs> some of the, the Lover surprise songs and being like, we got to get, we got to get the song over with. <laughs> and she makes a point to do that speech before the song Lover. I may have written these about specific times in my life, but they belong to you. And um, I want them to remind you of this night that we're sharing. It's such a perfect place to put it. Oh, that's interesting. Know? I didn't think of that, the significance of that placement. Like I didn't think of that either. That's place. really amazing. That's really yeah. amazing. Speaking of which, in this slightly gossipy portion of this episode, it is interesting in Antihero that it's at tea time when everyone agrees. It's who would have tea time in her life when they decided the problem is her. And I, I, I listen, none of it is accidental, as we know. And I actually now think that's a hundred percent, if not a reference to the person, but perhaps the person's relatives who might be having tea time. I was always like, why tea time? That's so specific. Uh, who has tea time? But we know who has tea time. God, she loves the English. <laughs> or does she? I'm st I think that's very yeah. specific and pointed, and it, it reads totally different to me now. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, I think the last, you know, several months of, of Taylor Mania that we've been discussing and the world has been discussing even more than, than usual, I feel like Antihero being, I, I think listening to it in the context of this concert at the point in her career that she's at now, where you have to shut down the block to, for her to go into Electric Lady Studios and she shuts down Jersey Shore just to go to Jack Antonoff. So it's like all this stuff. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen was placed in prison so that she could attend <laughs> Jack Antonoff's wedding. <laughs> she said, lock the doors of the stone pony. No, it's, I think, makes anti-hero, I don't even know the right words to say, but I think like it, it made the listening experience of it more intense just because of the lyrics of it, like this like monster on the hill. Everyone made fun of those lines, but it's like too big 100%. to hang out, too slowly yes. lurching towards your favorite city. And that's been the entire era's tour. It's like her slowly <laughs> lurching to every city and being it's it is like really intense song to be a single, not to go back to like our midnight chat and make no. it, but it is like a the actual kind of significance of those lyrics in the context of where she is even now. It's like pretty insane. And I thought, I think I had a, a bigger appreciation for that song. And also it, it was much more of an intense kind of listening experience in the context of watching the actual film of the concert that I didn't have watching the concert. 
No, you're absolutely right in that it was almost prescient because she was only about to get bigger. But and, she's and always the, been really big. It's crazy course, what happened of this course. year. And that's why that's why we did the Taylor Mania yeah. episode trying to explain because people are so confused about this. Some people the people's takes on this this era of Taylor Mania are so confused. Some of them don't understand how big she was already. Some of them don't understand how much bigger she got. But both things are true. She already was unfathomably big, and then she's gotten unfathomably bigger to the point where there, yeah. there's now, I didn't experience this myself, but the little kids uh, dancing in circles in front of the screen, which everyone said had a real Midsummer vibe. <laughs> uh, you know, it's reached somewhat frightening levels. And, you know, I think that she's more comfortable with it then it freaks me out, but she she seems okay. And, she, she and she's leaning out. into it, right? It does seem like this is why it feels different, is it does feel like she is leaning into the parts of it that are very big and the kind of craziness. But yeah, I think listening to Auntie here on that, in that context, in the context of watching a film that like is about, the, you know, this like massive tour, and it was also now a massive film, like is very, very fascinating experience. There's also a little moment in the anti-hero performance where she acts out the, did you hear my covert narcissism, my disguise as altruism, like some kind of congressman. She acts out the going around shaking hands because in case anyone was confused, I mean, it means exactly what we, th- you know, what it obviously means. But I think a lot of people were confused, not just because they didn't know those two words, <laughs> which some was the case for some younger fans. But that's what it means is all the glad handing she used to do. She's accusing herself of covert narcissism in it disguises altruism. And, and yeah. that's, again, that's incredibly incisive and, and self-damning and interesting. Um, but I love that she's like, this is what it fucking means. Look, here I am handshaking. Like, do you get it now? Yeah, I mean, the level of self-deprecation <laughs> between that, all the Midnight songs, you know, it's like, it's very, especially with that being the final portion of it. Again, even listening to the album outside of context, obviously it, it is, we talked about those lyrics and every but it's in the context of the actual concert and it coming at the end, having a newfound appreciation for that album, which I already really loved. But I think the level of self-deprecation and also this awareness of the bigness between like Midnight Rain and, and Mastermind. It's interesting that in Midnight Rain, she chose to have the altered vocals disembodied. I wanted a comfortable, I wanted that pain. I wanted a bird, I was making my own because they could have gone a few ways with that but one of the novel elements of course every night is the surprise songs what did you think of our song and you're on your own kid i loved especially our song i love that she did the song from the debut, which, as we and, and everybody else have pointed out, is the era that gets very pointedly left out of, of the era's tour. And it was a just a really great performance, but also like very symbolically, like a, a very beautiful choice for the surprise song for the movie of the concert. I was just thinking about whoever came in second place at that talent show. And just oh the, God, what they were yes. thinking when she came on. Until she came on, they were like, I've definitely got this. My ventriloquist act was killer. <laughs> and, then, and then this high school freshman comes on. I was like, I wrote this little song for the talent show. And it's that. <laughs> Poor kid. But also, like, just the way that, that those two songs pair, right? Because she, mm. as she introduces our song, this is a song I wrote for the ninth grade talent mm. show. And then she goes to You're on Your Own Kid, where she's very much grown up, Taylor, looking back at where she's come from in her life looking back on her growing up process, they make really beautiful bookends in that moment. I was surprised that the second song, that the 
I was surprised that the second surprise song was another Midnight song, since there's a lot of Midnight songs in the set. Those two, they go together really well. Also, of course, with the friendship bracelets line. Now yes. even more even more prescient to kind of have that as a part of it. They had like friendship bracelets at the theater. Like it's like it's cool to see how, you know, that line has taken off in terms of how the fandom has interacted with each other at the concert. And for this non-single, just like devastating song and people were just like, what if we turn this into a beautiful moment of connection at the shows? And it's now a very enduring part of everything with being a part of that fandom. Yeah, I love how the credits at the end spell out everything in friendship bracelets. Yeah. The credits, honestly, just going from the end of the show <laughs> to the Taylor's version of Long Live, yeah. such a beautiful surprise. And I don't know about when you guys saw it, none of the times I've seen the movie in the theater, nobody left during the credits because everybody wanted yeah. to stay in here Long Live. And it was <laughs> really a perfect finale. I was waiting to see if she was going to join the Avengers. just wanted to make sure i'm putting together a team well the rumor is she might be in deadpool just talk about that for a second (laughs) you could not you know uh so so that character right dazzler is i love dazzler yeah people are obsessed with dazzler there's been a long there's been many years of rumors you know dazzler is a pop star in the comics who who is also a superhero and it's been the and in fact, yeah and you know originally it was actually supposed to be a donna summer was supposed to be dazzler mm-hmm. um you know so there's tremendous this there's, there's weird history there the, the idea was always in there that this would be played by a real life pop star for like 40 years it's been around forever yeah. uh and so during the entire mcu period there's been and even before in x-men because she's an x-men affiliate forgive me there's been tons of rumors i think at one you know and actually taylor was rumored for it years ago in like the in the 2000s there was the question is whether because she appeared with the people from deadpool which has you uh, jackman returning as wolverine in it that maybe she's going to play dazzler in it and the director yeah no commented it which i honestly i don't think she fucking plays dazzler come on i don't like, know come on. it's too much it would be Ryan's so, her it, bestie yeah, Hugh no, Jackman it, came to a Chiefs game with them. It felt that's true. It, it, it seems like an Easter egg. Ooh, I didn't what know that. Actual, actual yeah, Easter. You know, yeah, no, they like, were there. They were in the box with her. Yeah, the director and yeah. Ryan were, were in the box. So that's oh, the why the director was, was there too. I didn't. The director yeah, was there too. Dazzler. Yes, he was. He yeah. was. He was with this Ryan. Is, we yeah. can't deny this. So. This is a soft <laughs> launch. But that means until Harry has Harry Styles is also in the MCU. Yeah. So this raises extremely intriguing possibilities. Um, <laughs> although there's a, crossover. there's a rumor that he, they uh, the MCU obviously is going through its flop era right now. So <laughs> it's there's a lot of there's been a lot of things where people appearing in those final scenes uh, and then nothing ever comes of it. Like <laughs> Harry Styles in in the single worst MCU movie appears at the end, <laughs> Eternals. So uh, as a character, we will probably never see him again in the MCU, let's face it, and we'll see. Yeah. Taylor's Dazzler. I tried to get Cameron Crowe single-handedly started on this show that Cameron Crowe was interested in directing a Dazzler movie, so uh, maybe <laughs> if Cameron can direct Taylor in a Dazzler movie, let's start that. Uh, okay. Let's <laughs> let's manifest, as the kids say. Let's, let's manifest that. I do I love think, Dazzler. You know, I'm not a, I, I don't follow a lot of stuff, but I do. I have followed the Dazzler lore. Some pop star someday will play Dazzler. It yeah. might be Tower. Who knows? She might add that to the end credits. <laughs> Something I did right. love about uh, You're On Your Own Kid in the surprise song set. I love how she sings the somewhat quizzical, we can call it, line, like, So Long Daisy May. And then yeah. there's a shot of her playing the piano, which you notice is covered with daisies. 
the folklore piano has a whole tree growing on it, basically. I it's love just, the folklore piano. I love how she just like looks at the moss and the piano and she's like, what is this? The part where she jumps into the stage, uh, oh, yeah. the surprise songs, was something that I, again, I knew it was going to happen because I watched so, much, so many clips of the show before I went to the live show. And then I missed it because I was crying so hard during Maroon <laughs> that I was like, oh no, I missed something that like is important. To see so it was fun to watch in the film but i also really loved the, the audience gasps in the that they like captured of everyone just like the shocked faces as she jumped into the stage it was my favorite audience cutaway portion was just everyone just jaw dropped shocked it was so many people that they panned to for that one particular moment i really loved that brian you were talking about building the house and all the different things that could go wrong in a show this elaborate I, I never watched that stage diving moment without thinking, why is she doing this? The, the <laughs> downside, this seems like quite an athletic feat for somebody who's already yeah. been doing this marathon of a show for three hours at this point. Yeah. It's great in the movie and you actually see her like uh, underwater mermaid footage. But it, it, it's a perfect example of something that she does just to, to dazzle, so to speak. She figured, oh, I haven't done this like absolutely crazy and risky athletic stunt that absolutely nobody is asking me for after Britney's still crying from Maroon and everybody's still crying <laughs> from the surprise songs at that point. Yeah, it I is, do. It is yeah. really like a, a she, she's just doing whatever type of thing where it's so many different things. I'm just like, she's having a good time. Like the witchy willow scene and like diving into the to the water or like into the fake pool, like all that stuff. I'm just like, bless her. She's It's just like a bunch of stuff and I love it. I ate I everything it. up. Everything worked for me. I was just like, she just, she's, you know, what if we did this? And everyone was like, yeah. I love that. Yes. <laughs> she's got that improv just saying yes and to every question. Back to it, something I touched on. It is so crazy. Again, I was watching Bejeweled and thinking it's so crazy that everyone didn't realize what was going on because it is such a freaking breakup song. Uh, in addition to being about, yes, reclaiming but, the pop crown, but it's a breakup song. Come on. Also, but the thing is, those are songs from different midnights sure. in her life. I, I think <laughs> the songs could be from different eras of her life. So I've always thought Bejeweled was about Calvin. Oh, you interesting. Know, she, that's, I, I, was, that was the initial, and that still could be true. Yeah. I think it could be it could be quote unquote about Calvin, but she was also thinking of some other sometimes situations recur in one's life. And I also wonder how much of that it's all about different times in my life was a contemporaneous semi excuse to get out sentiments that she wasn't sure that she wanted to be attributed to the current era. A lot of them could be, yes, about moments in your life, but also weirdly something I'm also feeling right now, which is I'm sorry. That's how I take Bejeweled feels so obvious it works so well don't make me <laughs> toss out my carefully yeah. mapped out theories of which midnight in her life each song is about i've dedicated time to them and i'm sticking with them so yes. bejeweled is from 2016 there is an interesting dialogue with young taylor again in that song baby boy i think i've been too good of a girl did all the extra credit then got graded on a curve a really key line to how she kind of sees how she was and how the world treated her. I think that's really a core line, an important line as far as her self-conception. I think a lot of hers are, again, her self-deprecation and awareness. It's underrated in a lot of the songs. I think especially even, I think still in Blank Space and a, a oh, lot yeah. of the songs 1989 era and the way that she viewed herself then, I don't think people even truly appreciate it then in a way that I think they'll appreciate now looking back on it. Because so much of her kind of positioning was so still steeped in that she's boy hungry kind of whatever like lore but 
yeah, I think it's uh, it, it came back in full force on Midnight's in a way that it hadn't been on the last few albums in that way. It, it reminds me a lot of where she was starting to go in like the 1989 era of self-deprecating in that way. The moment in Look What You Made Me Do when she gets to say the old tower can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. was really interesting this time. Its placement in this show is so funny because the whole point of the show is that no old tailors, no old yous are ever dead. She's just spent the whole show reviving each old tailor in, in turn, and yet she's doing that. It was one of those lines where I was just like, huh, it's so weird in this show. Yeah, with die didn't stay dead. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, also that she does it herself on the rep tour, it was Tiffany Haddish. And mm-hmm. for her to just be answering the phone and giving that message herself, it's a real switch from how she's presented that song in the past. That is yeah. such a fantastic moment in the show. And, and like you said, it, it pivoting right out of Don't Blame Me and going into this extremely harsh, but extremely, like you said, hard rocking version. I think that's uh, always been my favorite thing about Taylor songs is that she calls bullshit on herself. She always has. She was doing that long before anybody gave her any credit for having a sense of humor, right? It's funny how much people have always complained about that song better than Revenge. To me, it's plain that she's the butt of the joke in that song, that Mm. she's the one who's like rhyming this woman's name with things. More than anything else, I think that tendency is what places her so fully in the canon of the 70s singer-songwriters. It's so Joni, it's so James Taylor, it's so Carly Simon. It's just fully of that tradition. Again, so much of what has made her so enduring and have fans that have stuck by her for so long is that she is quite literally growing up from album to album. It's reputation era Taylor is late 20s, has been through something crazy and is just very different than early 30s Taylor, who has been on the other side of it now, has a different perspective and obviously very different from 19-year-old Taylor and from 15 year old You know, it's, I think that she doesn't shy away from the fact that those kind of hypocrisies or whatever can exist in her lyrics because that's just what happens like it's just you can have that line and then six years later be like actually (laughs) that's not how i feel and i am more comfortable with the old taylor and all those things i think that's great about all those songs i think not to dwell excessively on this the old towers are simultaneously dead and alive they're schrodinger's towers but i guess everyone's rob's point i think when he first reviewed the the heiress tour was that it can make everyone think about all their own eras, all the tailors that she's ever been. You said all the tailors that you've ever been. I can't quite go that far, but all the yous that you've ever been, I think is part of this. You think about eras, and it is true that all your old selves are simultaneously dead and alive. You're not that person anymore, but that person still exists. So there, there is a certain profundity to that of like when she takes on these roles, she's no longer that person from Enchanted. That song is very juvenile. I'm sorry. That's, it is. It, it's, but it, it, she's able to find that place within herself that yeah. gown <laughs> even like in the i think that's the thing though too it's right these are very much perspectives from the person of that age like that it is a very is a very 18 19 year old perspective on a crush right picturing this kind of cinderella type of meet cute with the guy from owl city it just happened we've um, all been there we've is, all met the guy from owl city and, and felt that way yeah in like 20 how old was she 26 27 or something i don't know when she writes gorgeous and that's a different kind of crush that's i'm gonna keep making fun of your accent and i think you're stupid but also really hot clearly all the kind of fantasy castle stuff of the early career is not part of how she thinks about love anymore right or like all that kind of stuff the way she thinks about breakups are completely different now thinking about the song you're losing me i can't even fathom 20 year old taylor writing that but that's also a 20 year old's not gonna write that can't get a picture of 
31-year-old Taylor doing that song. I mean, can I can't picture Lover Era Taylor even <laughs> thinking of it in that way. You know, the Eras tour is, is incredibly continuing. It's even coming back to the U.S. next year, and we know that there's a few more Taylor's versions to come out. What's next, if we had to guess? Does she go smaller again on the next album somehow? Not do another pop, a big pop album? She keeps doing thrillers after thriller. Born in the USA is after Born in the USA. She's not, she's in, in some ways, maybe not directly, but she's not had to follow these normal arcs. But how do you follow up this? <laughs> what comes next, both, <laughs> both album-wise and tour-wise? How do you do it? I think album-wise, ideally, again, I don't know, I even said this, four and then she dropped midnights i was like there's no way she's gonna release a new album before all the re-records are out there's no way she's gonna tour before <laughs> it's okay there she is yeah. i think it is very much i think it's probably gonna better and it seems like she is going to drop the re-records pretty quickly it's, she's been teasing reputation obviously in her in her post about the era's film it was very specific in saying look what you made me do and all of the all the rep stuff so i'm sure we'll get all of those very quickly and more quickly than the initial rollout of it but I think it offers a blank slate, right? Because it's like both of these thi these things can coexist. Even on Midnight, which was a Jack Antonoff kind of partnership, a true, like their first kind of really true sort of the, her and him. But then she dropped Through I Am, which was more of the Desner production in the vein of Folklore Evermore, a halfway point between Pop Taylor and uh, Folkmore Taylor. But yeah, I don't know. It, it is a blank slate where she has this creative license where it literally doesn't matter. There need, she doesn't need a strategy anymore of releasing a single and doing a big rollout. She doesn't need to think too hard about, I have to do a big pop album to follow everything again, or I have to do... Because Folkmore did very well, and that's the antithesis of a lot of what she had been doing prior to it. So it's, it is a very rare point for an artist to be in where she literally can do whatever she wants, and it will probably do well because of the tour i think there's a lot of fans who really are they're excited for whatever is going to come next i think also very just excited to get the, the vault tracks from the re-records and they don't mind if they have to wait for a, another new album that's exciting enough to hold them over yeah i think it is a fascinating place where i don't think there is this demand of she needs the next big hit single because she is one of the few album artists right now like in the that sort of top 40 sphere where you are really just waiting for that full album and not just like the next single. Th those are all good points. Rob, yeah, what do you think? Tour-wise, album-wise, how does she follow up on this? Yeah, honestly, yes. Imagining this one was impossible, and this is not anything I would have predicted. And I guess that's the essence of Taylor, right? As people have been listening to her and following her for a long time, you try to guess her next move, you're always going to be 100% wrong. Else should have learned by now, and yet we still try to guess what she might do next. But as she talks about during the show explicitly, she has learned about her fandom that they will follow her anywhere. By her fandom, I don't just mean the hardcore Swifties, but she has listeners who will follow her in the weirdest turns that she takes. She's proven that, like Prince and the Beatles before her, she can do these drastic swerves, and it turns out that's exactly what the audience wants her to do. I'm still shocked that 1989 was such a hit. I still remember the shock of hearing that album and how mm. it was such a non-obvious decision and so obvious mm. to me hearing it as, why is she doing this? She has a formula. It's a great formula. She could just keep making more great albums like Red with this formula. That comes across really at a moment like Lover. You mentioned that Lover live, it's emotionally very different from the version on the record in certain ways. In the movie, it really comes across even more, than, more so than in the live show, but in the movie, it really comes across as her love song to her audience and her 
pledge of lifelong devotion to that audience when she says at the beginning of the song, I want you to think of these songs as songs that remember the memories that we made together. Lover is the song she goes into. It's very fitting when she has that sort of little commitment ceremony in the middle of the song where she swears to be overdramatic and true, which is one promise that she absolutely has kept. But it, it seems very explicitly like she's singing to the audience. And that comes across even more explicitly in the theater. I think it also creates a, a thing, a rare thing for an artist to be able to achieve, especially this earlier in their career. I guess I know it's early still, but it's been like two decades, but it's still early. Is that the kind of thing with it is she like will never and probably should never do a tour like this again. Like where she's doing three and a half hours of going album by album. That seems very deeply horrifying to do like several times in your career. But it creates this new thing where the next time she tours, whenever that is, could be like a couple years after it ends. It could be 10, whatever. It's not gonna be 10 years, but it could be a while if she wanted to. And she doesn't have to do just the hits that she's done in every tour. If she never played Love Story again, or if she didn't play, if Love Story wasn't a given in her next set, there are a million songs that everyone, she could do, Champagne Problems could replace like Bad Blood in the set and people would be thrilled. And not like that they wouldn't want, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of fans who love that song. But it is, she doesn't have to do just the number one hits because it's clear the deep cuts have now become elevated. And and she has that sort of power at this point where she doesn't have to do what's expected of her on every tour in that, I think, in that very pop star way of, I have to give them, we are never getting back together and I have to give them style every time. She could easily just do wildcard set lists on her next tour if she wanted to. And people would eat that up because the surprise songs are such a big deal. Like everyone knows the lyrics to those. And those are a lot of very deep cutty songs. So that's fascinating where I'm just like, she could do a tour two years after this and just do a real random set list if she wanted to. And it would be crazy and really fun. Is there any scenario where she takes two, three years off? I hope that for one. Even as a fan, I'm always like, I think people, I, I think it's a very demanding career. And we've seen the way that it affects artists to really punish themselves for long periods of time. And I think if she wanted to, she could, and it would be perfectly fine. She was off for a year until she dropped Midnights and hadn't toured in a while. So she wasn't even supposed to tour Lover. She was just going to do the Lover Fest. So I could very much see her taking time off for just releasing music and maybe not touring for a little bit. Yeah, probably won't right now, but she could. The only thing I disagree with you on is I actually, it's certainly not going to be the next tour, but 10, 15 years when there, you know, who knows how many more albums are in the canon. I would not be shocked if there's an Eras tour to a long time from now, because she set this template and imagine if it's a thing she does every decade of her career going yeah. forward. When it just keeps, <laughs> the show gets long, five, <laughs> six, seven hours. It does become a template and it could it could be. Uh, but yeah. not the next tour. I can't imagine that. I, I cannot imagine that. Yeah, it's not yeah. impossible to do. I think it'll obviously take different forms and could be uh, the way a lot of you know rockers do where it's like very kind of jam bandy. Like she could easily just go her and the band and just be like, each night we're just going to do like a bunch of stuff. I'm laughing because of Jam Bandy. I think if there's one direction... I can <laughs> In be, the yeah. fish way. I want to be really clear. Be when I awesome. say Jam Band, I'm, awesome. never, I'm never thinking about fish. That would really be uh, astonishing. I mean, like, in the style of jamming with her band and then just playing whatever she wanted, she, I could absolutely see her doing it. I don't. I just don't know that the production in this way is sustainable to do multiple times for the dancing and the playing. It's, it just seems, I don't know, maybe I'm just like getting older and I'm like, that seems horrific from a back perspective. 
Look at Madonna. <laughs> Look at Madonna. And older will only be younger going yeah. forward. Whatever the hell people are doing, training, nutrition, <laughs> God knows what, seems to be getting better and better. And she's had access to it from a younger age. So I imagine yeah. she'll, someone from her generation older will only be younger. A 2050 three eras tour is totally possible and that show will be 12 hours long and possibly conducted possibly fronted by a robot but nonetheless it's possible bridges, just yeah. the bridges yeah. tour a moment that's I, so great in the movie the bridge of illicit affairs and yes. it's funny that you know that's already a huge moment from the live show but it was really funny to see in the theater just the sort of the visceral reaction just like as she goes from august which is a wistful sad song into this just drops to our knees and does this incredibly intense chant of just the bridge from another song what an audacious move it works so well in the movie theater yeah and another thing that was amazing was just all too well it's easy to take it for granted at this point and she already did a legendary snl performance of it that people have seen a billion times and all the performances that people have already seen and that this was, but this is the one for the movie. She brings it every night, but it was such an engaged and intense and incredible performance of that song that she's clearly not sick of singing yet. Yeah. Uh, that she can still summon the full fire for that one. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, and the future is unwritten. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe she'll do an all seance tour. It'll just be like <laughs> the Willow and My Tears Ricochet talking. parts of the movie. Just do that for an entire, an entire movie. You know, I want, I really wanted a, a, a beacon residency doing folklore. Mm. My God. I would <laughs> sure. That would never happen. Sure. They would need to clear 2025 and be like, she's only doing these two albums and you don't know which one you're going to do. She could do night. it as a movie. Yes. And not only give her the Steely Dan dates, but have her do a Steely Dan album every night as yeah. part of the show. Just Taylor does <laughs> the logic work. all the way through. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Dirty work is very is swift coded. She could just destroy that one. Oh my God. There's so many, but also, Something about seeing this tour, which is all the way through her past in a theater and seeing it close up and just picking up on details that are just going to go over your head live when you've got total sensory bombardment. Yeah. Like, I'd never noticed her nails before. Uh, oh, yeah, the different colors. Yes, for one for each, each album. Year. It was so funny to see the close up of her fingers on the mic and notice her nails and didn't take long to put the pieces together. And I'm, of course, I'm probably the last person to notice that, but... Details like that come across in this really vivid way. This is what I'm talking about with the behind the scenes. There is somewhere there is the world's fastest nail tech (laughs) under that stage. And that is a whole story in itself. There's a hundred people like that. The world's (laughs) greatest nail tech. There's so many behind the scenes details. What's ironic is there's going to be way more behind the scenes stuff in the Beyonce movie. Yeah. I think once it's wrapped, she'll she'll divulge more of the the secrets of the hopefully. Finally, my nail tech tour. interview request will come through once it's over. Yeah, I've been trying since we haven't mentioned Stevie Nicks so far, which yeah. is rare for us. In August, she's doing what Stevie wears on the cover of Belladonna, and in yeah. Willow, she's doing what Stevie wears on the cover of Rumors. And we know mm-hmm. from Stevie's interviews at the time that she consciously staged the cover of Belladonna to be a response to the cover of Rumors, and she wanted to wear white as a different statement to her wearing black on that earlier album. In very Stevie Nicks ways, I just thought it was great that she put both those Stevie Nickses in the show. Yeah, and criminal that we haven't gotten Stevie's version of You're On Your Own Kid, knowing how much she loves that song, mm, and she's spoken frequently about how important that song has been to her since the passing of Christine. I really, I dream of that cover. I think Absolutely. about it often and I would, I need it to happen. I need a, 
I need them to get together at the Grammys. Or something. <laughs> what a get great idea. Oh my gosh. <laughs> mm, yes. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.